I would appreciate if the, uh, the high school folks would uh, take notes, should always, but um, I've always thought, let's see if we can get settled. I've always wanted, thought, hey, if there's a shortcut uh, to what God wants, I want to find it. Anybody understand that? Yeah. I mean, have you ever walked, cut across a field or say, well, you're going the wrong way, long way? Well, I'm going to give you a very precious gift today, I really believe. And this is for the high school people. The others, you don't have to listen. You should know this by now. However, many of you may not because, you know, I am really a um, late arriver, slow learner, uh, filled with a lot of myself, okay? Now, let's wait. There may be someone trying to ski in here. Uh, yeah. But I'll give you the two scriptures, and uh, if there is, um, yeah, would you turn this way, please? Yeah, you just turn a little. The, the circumstance that's, that's before you, and it's like, I wish someone would have said to me, and that a lot of the things I'm doing now, you know, zooming and talking, and sometimes it's just a new uh, academic experience. But please hear this. That this is the shortcut. This is the fast route. Uh, have you ever been overseas traveling and you get into that line where, what do they call it? Betty, do you remember it? But it has to do, it's just, speak, what? Fast track. fast track, yeah. I love it. Say, sir, you're on fast track. I am? And then you see a big line here, and, and then there's nobody in that line. And I'm going to give you the fast track where very few people get to. Those who do move faster. And, and I'm kind of excited, but embarrassed, you know. I keep hearing Sam's song, Wasted Years, Wasted Years. I don't know when he sang, and i got to find some historian. But listen, but here, here I'll give it to you, because it's going to be a good morning today. I just know it. I just sense it. Paul says this, I'm going to go right to it. You'll find it in 2 Corinthians 1 somewhere. You don't have to read it now, I'll read it to you. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we didn't even want to live. We despaired of life. 
fast track. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Everyone in this room that's coming to God, don't look around back there. You need to focus. The circumstance is this. Everyone in the room who is born again, and I keep telling you that you, did have, you have a glorified body waiting for you. I'm excited about that. You can, you know, I walk funny, all that stuff. You have a glorified body waiting for you, but the fast track to it is <laughs> the sentence of death to this world, to this life, to all the attachments here. And I can't get out of this. You know, the, the most important line in movies, God sneaks in everywhere, is couple of a couple sitting there and she looks at him and he looks at her and they say what do you want and they say say it together let's get out of here that's the fast track and God will help you if you'll fully commit to the sentence of death that's there and it's death to the born-again person the natural man does not understand this, and if you're not born again, you, it, it'll just go by you, you keep going by you. Second one uh, is Second Corinthians 4. <laughs> uh, we are troubled on every side, yet not distress. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of Christ. And it's to arrogance, it's to indifference, it's to uh, the thrill of some stupid pleasure, whatever it is. You, yourself, myself, has to go. Yeah, you too back there. So, Fast track. That's the only way home. I wish I didn't have to say this. I wish I could say, hey, oh, everything's going to be, you, you receive Christ, everything's going to be wonderful. I look around here today, and there are many people in this room have made progress because they, they held to the reality that... Uh, the sentence of death was there, and they shouldn't trust yourself. I am the most dangerous to me. You're the most dangerous to you. So, goodness, I, I got that about in a little about six minutes. I hope you got it. And I want to see that in the notes of the high school kids. I will come over and inspect it, I promise you. Just the notes. And, and it won't help you believe it. You've got to say, God, help me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the vice, the, the parenthesis of time is short. Uh, even, even the one who, who preached the, the, the everlasting mercies 
the, the prophet who said that, don't you know that I don't have much time? And so we ask you today, surround us. We thank you for your everlasting love. Help us to fast track this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's gather.
the um, I think one of the perhaps the most important um, thing that uh, should be going on in our hearts is to <clears throat> be aware of um, what the actual operation of, of God is for each of us. <clears throat> if you don't have hope this morning, and I trust you all do, but if you don't, um, the source of that would be is that you're living on the earth and are earthbound. <coughs> And what God is doing is, that is central to us, is an operation inside, um, in an unseen realm, <clears throat> and uh, there's a lot of things going on outside us, and <clears throat> there's a reason we don't it says here in 2 Corinthians 4, there's a reason we don't faint. <clears throat> there's a reason we don't faint. Uh, and Paul says it clearly. Um, I wonder if you've ever considered Paul, that Paul didn't have 2 Corinthians 4. <laughs> he just said these things from the Spirit of God. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I laugh at myself because in case the Spirit of God isn't with me today, and I don't mean he's not around, I just mean with me, um, <laughs> I have all these notes. <laughs> so you can, I was thinking it's like a kid's security blanket or something. You have a big pile of notes and scriptures and, and all this stuff. And then it occurred to me that Paul couldn't say, okay, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 4, right? <laughs> Uh, he just, this just came out of him. Uh, but that notwithstanding, <clears throat> uh, we're going to read something. It says, for which cause we faint not, 416, 2 Corinthians 416. Uh, I think Brother Bill is reading a little further up in this. But it says, for this, which cause we faint not. Okay. Th so you ought to listen because a lot of us have been prone to fainting with what's going on in our lives or what we perceive. But though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are, are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the work of God is in an unseen realm, and it's eternal. It's an eternal work, and... And I thought of all the things that, that we look at that seem to have a importance and actually move us and, and stress us and, and <clears throat> uh, sometimes even smother us. So many things we look at and we start to faint and we lose hope because um, we're not looking at the, the, the operation of God. The operation of God must be real. It must be, and it's not because I, someone like me stands up and tells you you must discover what that operation is. 
If you have meaning and purpose in your life right now, if you have genuine hope, it's because you are in communion uh, with the actual work and operation of God in your heart. I have many times said I don't need this, I don't need that, I don't want that, it's, it's a problem, I need that, and, that. And, and in retrospect, I have perfect vision, right? Because I look back on those things that were difficult to me, those things that I would have absolutely given the choice, would have absolutely X'd them off. If I had a sheet of my life of 40 years, um, I guess I could say 61. You know, a guy actually said to me in the grocery store the other day, I had two cases of bananas, which we buy a lot of weird things. People look at you funny. And the guy's looking at it. And I said, and he's staring at my box of two boxes of bananas in the carriage. And I said, and I noticed he was staring. And he was a gray-haired man. And um, <clears throat> he looked like a nice man. And so I looked at him and I said, I could tell you that I raise monkeys. <laughs> And then I said, but I don't. <laughs> but he looked at me and he said, well, grandkids are the same. <laughs> and I thought that was humorous. Until later when I'm walking out with my bananas. And I thought he recognized that I was grandfatherly. <laughs> he was a nasty man. So this work that's going on, this operation that is going on, <clears throat> if I had a sheet of events, I would have X'd out many of the events that God had determined for me. And, and actually, sometimes on a daily basis, I would I X out by my response uh, those things that are absolutely necessary for me. Be and the reason I would X them out is because I'm not... Uh, connected to the Spirit of God that is doing an internal work that is of the greatest significance to me, I would look upon what is seen and what is temporal. And, and so, so in retrospect, I look back and those things that I would have X'd out are perhaps the only things on the sheet that I really had to have. Right, and, and I think that's why it's very important not to judge before the time. And it, it doesn't mean that you have full comprehension and understanding of what's going on. But you have to, you have, that's why we talk so much about trust in the one that is doing the work. So it's an inward work and, um, and it's faith in the operation and trust in the operation of God. Um, and so all of us are on this journey of sorts. And, um, and I, before I get to, I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 2, but before I get there, I want to read Hebrews 5. I think there's a defining verse here. You know, because honestly, if you are aware of the operation of God, you are, you are absolutely uh, challenged by that. That should be the greatest challenge that you and I have. I know we put our hands to a lot of things, and I appreciate all the work that goes on, the labors, all the things that happen here on a regular basis that you, don't, you and I don't even think about many times if you're not doing them. But, 
but there's a lot of things that happen here to, you know, to make our life what it is. Uh, keep food on the table and, and travel and, okay, I mean, there's just, like, it's mind-boggling. Um, all the things that take place here, and, and there's a lot of labor that goes on. But the great thing that should be absorbing us, really, is, is actually what God is doing. It should be the most challenging, should be where the tension of our lives is. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that should be where the focus is. That's where the, the, the challenge of energy should be. And, and, and there's a great scripture here. It says uh, at the end of Hebrews 5, it's very familiar. It says, um, you know, it, Paul, or I think it's Paul. I've always thought it was Paul. But <clears throat> it says, um, it, it's talking about being, and this is a danger. And this is really, I think, a lot of us suffer from this. And I don't want to include you as necessarily. I know I suffer from this. Um, it says you're, we have many things to say. They're hard to be uttered, but you're dull of hearing. And, and I think Richard uh, recently maybe uh, really kind of hit that. The lack of awareness of, of, of what's going on, right? Uh, you know... <laughs> Boy, sometimes our opinions, they carry us a long ways. And <clears throat> that was a nervous laugh, Steve. Um, uh, they, they take you, you know, they take you for a long, a long way and they have nothing, absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with what God is doing. And um, I've, had, I've had experiences over the years where... Um, I'm irritated um, with something that, that uh, my wife was doing. Um, yeah, this is only, it only has happened once. So, um, and if, you know, I found out that if you give it a few minutes, or maybe 10 minutes, all right. Sometimes you got to give it, if you give it some time, <clears throat> you make the discovery that, that God himself is not even thinking about what you're thinking about. Boy, what an awakening. You mean to tell me, God, that you are not thinking what I'm thinking? What do you mean? Because some of us walk around like the only thought to have is the one that's in my head right now. And that is a danger because it takes us so many places in it and, and, it, and it comes with words that come out of our mouth, right? It comes with actions. It comes with what we do with our time. It, it, it just encompasses everything. <clears throat> and, and, and this is an important thing. Say, God, I, God, I know I've been dull of hearing. <laughs> Could you awaken me to not be dull of hearing? Um, so then it goes on. It says, when it's time, uh, you should be teachers. I hate to talk about what we ought to be. I don't, that, <laughs> that always bothers me. You ought to be. Yes, that's right. I ought to. Um, <clears throat> but you, you, you know, you, you have need of milk. That means something coming to you. And <clears throat> this is so important for us. And William Law says it. And I won't, I won't, I have it here in case you want it. But I'm not going to read it, I don't think. But he just says, where do you find Christ. And it's such an important thing because the point of milk is that you, you are sustained by something outside you. And, and, and that's okay. There's a time for that, right? There is a time for that. 
But the whole passage here is that when you should be uh, ready for some meat, you still have need of milk. That, and, and the whole point would be, and this is what I was going to say, William Law says, where do you find Christ? You must find him inside. And that is the work that's going on with all of us. And it goes further in the, in the scriptures. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he's a babe. And there's no shame in being a babe because I don't believe that someone is either a babe or a grown-up person. I think <laughs> there are places in my heart that are still, I'm a baby. And there are other places where God has brought me up out of that babyhood. But there are still places, right? Um, and... and, and I think that's the condition of all of us. It says, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And I believe that is what God is doing with every single one of us. He's exercising us in this process. And that word discern means to fully separate. And there's a full separation that God is interested in where you are, uh, are fully persuaded, it says of Abraham, right, in Romans 4, fully persuaded of what actually is good and what actually is evil. And what that distinction is, that what is good is what God does. And what is evil is what is natural. And you say, well, wait a minute. The evil isn't just natural. Oh, yes, it is. The root of evil is natural. It's just human response apart from the Spirit of God. And <clears throat> now we, we point, we quantify evil, and, and we don't necessarily realize that the very roots of evil are the same things that you and I face where we just walk around with our opinion for days. And that does separate. Our opinion separates us from. It separates us from the work of the Spirit. Uh, and that's why it's so important that we, not, we are in this process of being able to discern, to fully separate what really is God and to, make, to grow up to the point where you can make that, uh, you can become aware of the Spirit of God in you. And respond to the Spirit of God rather than respond to the natural functionality of our humanity. And with all its, uh, you know, with all the five senses and everything that goes with it. And, and <clears throat> I believe this is such an important thing. Jesus says, and to define the strong meat, Jesus says in John 4 that my meat is to do the will of my Father. That is where we're going. That's the journey we're on. To do the will of our Heavenly Father. To be able to, to discern the will of our Heavenly Father. Right? Yeah. To be able to be willing to do His will. Is that a challenge? Yeah. I mean, that's about the... If I had to boil down, what's the big problem I've had? Yeah. Doing somebody else's will. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'd like to encourage you about the willing thing. It's not a stopper. The natural man is unwilling. Unwilling. That is not willing. Right? So there's a great little story that Jesus said a man had two sons. He sent one out. He says to him, go work in my vineyard. He said, that, I am on it, Dad. Right? And the other one said, I'm not going. 
right? The first one that said, I'm on this, didn't go. And the one that said, I'm not on it, unwilling, the unwilling son, afterward, <laughs> isn't that a good word for all of us in the room? Afterward, he repented and he went. That's where we are. Have you discovered that you are unwilling? Yeah. That's why I hate all the, the sweet little phrases we say. I'll tell you what God has really revealed to me. Forget it. I'll tell you what God has revealed to me. Is that I am unwilling. And it's impossible for me to be willing outside of the operation of the Spirit of God and the grace, the Spirit of grace <laughs> to get me into the condition where I am willing. That's, that's what I've made the discovery of. And, and so William Law says, the place you find Christ is in your heart. And then he, sa- he goes on to say, well, you find then, well, but you might say now to me that what you find in your heart is not good. And he said, if you didn't have Christ there, you wouldn't notice it. I thought, what an important thing that is to understand, that Christ is there, yes, to reprove and make a distinction and fully separate what is him working through you. Okay, so I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. Genesis 6. It's the fifth book. I, I think Tom Porter <clears throat> preached this, something about this, uh, some years ago. Maybe you remember Tom, I don't know. It's in Deuteronomy 2, 1 through 3. Um, this is the story, this is the children in the wilderness, they're on a journey. And he said, uh, verse 1, Moses is talking here. He's reiterating what's going on to the children of Israel. He says, Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke unto me. And we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord said, spake unto me, saying, You've compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. I don't know if you remember that, Tom. <laughs> uh, when it says they compass Mount Seir many days, uh, that was 38 years. Like it was many days, right? But you think many days, month and a half. This was 38 years. And he says, you've gone around this mountain long enough, and it's time to turn northward. And the Mount Seir really refers to Esau. It's the same word there. Um, and I just want to say some, a couple things about Esau. One is that he, um, he wasn't aware, uh, I, I don't know, he gets, a, he gets a bad rap because sometimes we look at um, types and shadows in the Bible, and Esau is a type for us, right? Um, <clears throat> and actually Esau also was a person, right? 
But he was used as a type. And he was just a type of the natural man. It wasn't... Uh, which you and I all know about the natural man. So when, it, when we talk about this... Now, you know Esau was a type of the natural man for a couple reasons, right? And one in particular that in Genesis, you know, you can read where... Uh, you know the story between Jacob and Esau. And at that moment, if you measure Jacob as the, the son of promise that the seed of Christ comes through, um, and you measure Esau, you kind of say, well, <laughs> like, who's who? And actually, Esau looks a little worse. I mean, he, I mean um, Jacob looks a little worse, right? He was very deceptive, you know. He, and so you can't evaluate that. But what Esau is in the Bible about in this, this particular thing as a type for us is just as the natural man. Because it says that Esau just let his belly dictate his whole life. Right? Now, you and I laugh at that. You know, that he wanted a bowl of lentils. Now, I had a bowl of lentils last night, and they were very good. I want you to know. My wife makes very nice lentils. And I ate a bowl of lentils, and they were excellent. But on a scale of 1 to 10, they weren't up around 10. If we're just evaluating lentils, they were way up there. But if you're evaluating life, you'd say, I'll tell you. <laughs> See this bowl? I'd give my life for this right now. And God uses stuff for us so that we, because he knows we're a little dull of hearing, so that we get the message that to him, the natural life, in, in all its advancement, in all its growth, in all its magnificence that we look at, to him is like a bowl of lentils. And it says Esau said, my birthright, are you kidding I'm going to die with hunger, of hunger. Give me the lentils. Of course I want the lentils, right? Uh, and so it says, the last line in that chapter, I think, it's 20, I think it's 25, I don't know, Genesis. But And thus Esau despised or disesteemed his birthright. When, it, when we talk about disesteem, that just means it's lower or, or um, something else is lower doesn't mean it's off the page. It doesn't mean it's off the consideration. It's just lower, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and this is what gets us into trouble. It's not that we don't realize the purpose of God. It's not that we don't see the calling. It's not that we haven't had the experience in Christ. But it becomes disesteemed above what I'm thinking right now. That's what the natural man is all about. So when it says you've circled this natural man long enough, it's, it's just, it, it, that's what it's talking about. Here we go again. Now it's interesting, there were a couple people, and Caleb in particular, right? Caleb had something else going on inside. He was circling that mountain for 38 years, but it says... Uh, as the word was in my heart then, so it is now. Caleb had another spirit with him, it says in the Bible. We, and <clears throat> so this is all Esau is. And that's why when you look in Hebrews chapter 12, we get stumbled on that, that chapter, right? Oh, my goodness. Esau sought repentance with tears and was rejected and, and couldn't find. You know what that's about? That's about the natural man does not inherit the kingdom of God. 
That's what that's about. The natural man will never inherit the kingdom of God. The natural man will never achieve enough, will never do enough, will never function enough to bring in the kingdom of God. Does God make a provision? Did God make a provision for Esau? Oh my goodness, yes. Right? <laughs> Does God make a natural provision for us? You better believe it. And God, God is... Those of you that have been here for a while realize that natural provision has grown and it's grown and it's grown and there are things that happen here that we never even would have thought about, yeah. right? There's travel that goes on. There's, like how, just, just think about Fairbanks trips, those of you that have been here long here, and John Stephen can relate to this. How many hours, John, did we used to spend to consolidate Fairbanks trips? Right? Hours. I remember in particular some instances we'd work two hours on a trip to consolidate. We had a ministry of consolidation. <laughs> well, why? Because we didn't have a lot of money and we, it, it cost money to go up there to Fairbanks. I know it's only it's a 200-mile round trip, right? But you pay fuel and maintenance on vehicles and we didn't have as many vehicles and... You know, anyway, we'd spend two hours on something just at the last minute. At minute 121, a new piece of information would come in the pipeline, right? That would destroy all the beautiful consolidation we had just done. Like, and if we weren't aware of the operation of God, we would have been fainting. <clears throat> but God has provided... And he, and he has all through Esau's life, he provided for the natural man, and he still does. But you know what? We make a big mistake. The, the provision for the natural man is, is temporal. It's all temporal. And also, the provision for the natural man could change. Right? It could go the other way. It could. We're dependent on God to provide business, but that could close, dry up. I mean, okay, well, things will never change in the world and cause that. Oh, oh. Does anybody read the news and say, I need a spiritual vision because this is frightening? What you look at, what's going on? What is, is that war going to grow and grow? Is what's going to happen in this kind with our, our, our neighbors, our sweet, kind neighbors to the north that... Everybody used to love internationally when they traveled, Canadians. All of a sudden, you look over there and you say, oh my goodness, we can't escape to Canada. <laughs> Actually, some of the folks in Canada that I talked to want to escape to the U.S. And I said, well, do you think that's better? <laughs> Where can you go now? So the provision could change. Please, please hold that lightly. Thank God for the provision. It's a wonderful provision. I don't want us to be ungrateful or cynical or anything. Thank you, Lord, for the provision. But all it is is a natural provision, and it could change. It could tighten up. It could, it could go the other way. Hold it lightly. That's not what you're here for. It's not what I'm here for. <clears throat> but God does provide that. So... Um, um, so Esau was just a picture of that. And, and you think about that when Jesus was on, walked on the earth, and I was thinking about the things that were seen of Jesus' life were temporal. 
And sometimes the miraculous and the miracles that you read about, they were mistaken for eternal, and they were not. They were not eternal. They were temporal works. Because ostensibly, someone that was raised from the dead died again. Somebody that was healed of being sick got a cold again. And we don't, you know, we don't know all that. The provision of feeding 5,000, which is a wonderful provision, right? It's a wonderful thing. We're grateful they fed all those people, but the next day those people are hungry. And if you and I live in such a way that God is our belly, we miss the whole point. So when Jesus says to them, you, uh, the reason... Uh, you stayed with me or something. It's in John 6. I won't read it, but uh, he said, it's because your bellies were full. <laughs> and that's what's such a danger about, what, you know, the miraculous. Yeah, we want to keep this guy around. Okay, no more planting. Yeah. Right? How about doing some fishing for coins to pay our taxes, Josiah? Is he here? He needs to hear this right now. <laughs> How about pulling out the coins to pay the tax bill for the businesses? We need to keep this guy around. Right? But there was something, and what Jesus was saying, God is your belly, you're missing the whole point. You don't see who's standing in front of you. What was the point of all those, that demonstration of three and a half years? The point was that God was just confirming that there was a, a, someone standing in human form that was under an authority and a power that the world had never seen and everybody missed it. And I think the, the, the verse says, uh, uh, your bellies are full and you, haven't, you don't notice uh, the Son, whom the Father has sealed. The whole point was the work of God to bring forth a life that was not bound by natural law. Not that your bellies get filled. Okay, so um, all of us have hunger. All of us do. All of us have, have hunger that we want filled. And, and, um, but I do know this. I believe that the place that God's bringing every single one of us to is that we don't <clears throat> disesteem what he's called us to, but we esteem it highly and have this hunger and desire increase for that which is primary above everything else. Um, and, and I think that's... Well, I'd like to say that God knows how to create that hunger. And um, if... We don't have to turn there, but... In Luke 15, you could read about the prodigal son. And um, that word prodigal, it just means wasted or to waste. And I would suggest um, that the, uh, well, for one, I think we all know what it is to waste time, what it is to waste our life on things that are not significant. I don't think wasting our life is some far out concept. So I guess we could say the one son ran off and, and spent all, wasted his living. It's wasted 
his substance, it says, with riotous living. They don't say this in the scripture, but I would add that the older son wasted his life without taking a step outside the door of the house. The beautiful thing is, in the prodigal son, the one that left, and the, uh, is that he says at one point, he remembers his father's house, and he says, I am perishing with hunger. That's why it's really important not to judge anyone before the time, because you don't know how, how far God brings them. I mean, sometimes you look at your children, and they... <laughs> They seem far afield, but you don't know. God may be just putting the right kind of hunger for the Father's house to get back, you know. And uh, he says, I perish with hunger. And, and you find something else. Uh, there's a, there really is important in this, in this story, this parable, is what you find out about your Heavenly Father, right? Because as soon as that hunger is at the point it needs to be to get back. It says, while he was a long way off, his father turned and he ran to him. Doesn't that tell you something about the Lord? And maybe that fits in with Isaiah chapter 30, right? That the Lord will wait. That he can wallop you when you get back. No. He says, the Lord will wait that he can be gracious. That's why he... Some of us are slow to hunger. Or we're slow to hunger for his house. We're still hungry and we're trying many other things. And God will let us go and let the tether go till we say, God, uh, I am still not full. I am perishing with hunger. And, I, and you turn and you say, God, I've got to have you. Is anybody else dealing with that? God, I've got to have you in a way that I haven't had you. There's nothing like repetitive, idiotic behavior to bring you to that place. There's nothing more depressing than for you and I to take another circle. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take another circle around Mount Seir. That's the worst thing that happens. That's my worst days. Isn't that your worst days? You take another circle around the natural man. And God says it's time to turn northward. If you look up that word northward, you know what it means? It means inward. It's not, it's, of course, northward is directional. But it means inward. It's, refer, it's pointing to the inner man. God says, look, this is where the life is. The inner man. Okay, so we all understand about wasting and... And God may be working there. And I want to look at something now in Matthew 17. And, um, and this is something that happened. I don't know if I'll read any of the verses, but it's, um, I've often wondered about the Mount of Transfiguration. And, um, because in all the things that were seen, they're all temporal in Jesus' life of three and a half years. But there was a, there was a, a work going on, I, I believe, and, and the Lord um, Jesus brought uh, Peter, James, and John um, up to the, uh, <clears throat> we call it the mount, uh, to a high mountain apart, 
and he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Like in, in, in other passages of other Gospels, it says his raiment was like nothing that could ever occur on the earth. There wasn't anyone that could create this kind of whiteness. And uh, I think there's a picture here for us, and, you know, it's a, it's a great little... Uh, Illustration, because I think it's a picture of the the work on the interior that God Himself was doing, um, and it only came by a vision. He said, "Tell the tell the vision to no man," you know. And of course, Peter came up with some ideas when this happened. Right? Uh, Peter says, "Oh Lord, I know what we should do. Let's build three tabernacles: one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses." And then the gospel, one of the gospels gives us an explanation. Um, I don't know if it's here in, in uh, no, I guess it's not in Matthew. It may be in one of the, it's one of the Mark or Luke, but it says, because he didn't know what to say. Yeah. And sometimes that's when we do the most talking, which, you know, which is dangerous. Um, but he says, tell the vision to no man. There was a work going on in the interior of Jesus um, that was, and we appreciate all the things that were seen that Jesus did while he walked on the earth through his public ministry. But what was of great significance, and this was before the resurrection, there was something going on in the heart of Jesus where there was this um, full separation uh, to the work of his father, to the will of his father. There was, that's what... This is all about. That's what purity is all about. It's not getting a list of uh, right kind of behavior and, and following that. It's a work of the Spirit to separate me from my affections to everything else so that my desire and my affection is clean and is singular. And I think that's what you see with Jesus. And he says, tell the vision to no man because prior to resurrection, prior to the actual experience of going to the cross, there was a work going on the interior. When you see the cross and the resurrection, that was the finality of the process. But there was work going on through his whole life. And there was work going on in our whole lives where he is narrowing us down, where there's a pure desire and a pure hunger for your father's house that transcends every other desire. So that you and I... Say, that is what I want. And I wanna, I'd like to encourage you with something because you see Jesus after this in the garden. And in the garden, uh, I, I, I'm very thankful for that passage because it wasn't that his humanity was done away with. He says, Lord, I have an idea. If this cup can pass from me, is there another way we can get this done? But then he, he had been brought to the place of purity where his desire for his father's will was above that. That's where we're going. You aren't eradicating you of every, yourself of every thought, of every other desire or, or inclination or can I get out of this? You're not, that's not disappearing. What is happening? is that the desire 
and the willingness to do the will of God is transcending all that. It's above that. So that though you still have your humanity as Jesus did, that humanity is in subjection because of the work of the Spirit on the interior where you can say honestly, whatever it is <laughs> that is a desire in my heart, it is under the one thing. It's subservient to the one thing. Getting you and me in the condition where we are hungry above everything else to be willing to do his will. Those are the genuine ones, right? <laughs> Aren't those the genuine ones? Many will say we did this, we did that, we did the other thing. We had a lot of church. We had a nice community. We had a lot of servants. We had some beautiful things, didn't, didn't we? But the point is that God is, provides all that natural environment for one thing. For his operation on our hearts to bring us to the place where everything else is subservient to his will. That's where he brings us. So I want to read something, I think, in closing. And it's... Uh, it's William Law. Um, it says, All the excellency and power of faith, hope, love, patience, and resignation, which are the true and only graces of the spiritual life, have no other root or ground but fully leaving yourself to God and are only so many different expressions of your willing nothing seeking nothing trusting to nothing but the life-giving power of his holy presence in your soul and this is what he says which I think is so important to sum up all in a word wait patiently trust humbly depend only upon seek solely to a God of light and love of mercy goodness of glory majesty ever dwelling in the inmost depth of your soul. Beware of all eagerness and activity of your own natural spirit and temper. Burn not in any hasty ways of your own. Be patient. This is the part you want to get a hold of. Be patient under the sense of your own vanity and weakness and patiently wait for God to do his own work in his own way. For you can go no faster than a full dependence upon God can carry you. And that's where God is taking every single one of us. That's his operation. To be fully dependent upon him for our life that transcends everything else. God help us. It says that Abraham was fully persuaded. And it, the reason he was fully persuaded is not only had God promised, but then it says in Hebrews 6 that he, he swore an oath. He promised, and then he swore an oath to perform what he'd promised. And then it says, and an oath is an end of all strife. Isn't that a beautiful promise? The difficulty that you and I are in. There's an oath that God swore that he would perform it. So God help us to see his operation and not to faint because of his work. Amen. Thank you.
Do you want this? No. Yeah, we don't want to clutter this with a lot of anything else. Um, <laughs> I, I pray, this is a prayer request. Uh, in Second uh, Thessalonians, It's for you and me. Um, uh, it says in the greeting, he says, We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, and it is meet because your faith groweth exceedingly. You, do not, you cannot grow with information, you know, Bible studies that inspire you unless you're born by the Holy Spirit. That's true, and the Holy Spirit is within you. And here, uh, what, what Brother David has brought primarily has to do with growth, because it's everything in God's family is to bring us to where we ha can have a dialogue. Uh, he, he referred to, I thought, you know, uh, your wife left, but when you were talking about the one time you had some difficulty, mm -hmm. I, you know, you, <laughs> we laugh at that if we're married, but uh, there have been a few times when I've seen that uh, Agnes Elizabeth is uh, going to live forever. You know, and we tend to cubbyhole people and put them in places, everybody. And it's, it's really uh, foolish because this family here, those of you who've been born again, we're going to be together forever. You're infinite. No stopping. So it's a small thing the encouragement to get out of where we've been, you know. But listen to this, and I, I'm going to, I'm zooming, and that, I'm going to open with this, and I appreciate your prayers. I don't, I'm so tired of the Zoom. Can't see the people. And, and I have to be thankful because, you know, I'd be lying. I just love the Zoom, Lord. You know, I thank you for the pain I have to do what I don't want to do. You know, I thank you. Does he have translators and stuff for me? Yes. But hear this. Your faith groweth exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. What a line. What a line. We want that. That's what God is up to. And that's what this is all about this morning. Because in his great love, he's not going to, he's, he'll chase you down every corridor or every winding piece of road of hell you're going. And he'll be there. And I'll break our hearts, you know, regarding his, his goodness to us. You know, I, I was looking at this line uh, that your faith, your trust 
grows exceedingly. And I, you have to ask God for that. And the charity. And you know, I think, I don't, I'm not positive this, but I'm fairly sure that John Wesley hated the word charity. But, and I don't know why he hated it. I hope he hated it because Tyndall, when he translated the Bible, the, the church individuals, Episcopal and the Catholics, wanted to kill him because he took the word charity and he put in love. And the, and the church said love is a dirty, filthy thing. And so they choked him to death and burned him because he translated charity to love. And I, <laughs> I kind of like uh, John Wesley's view there. But however you look at it, when your love grows, uh, you grow toward dismissing anything that you've loved here. And I think we say, God, give me a love for the unlovely, for the things I've run from, from my inability to do that. This is a wonderful morning. God help us to believe it. And to seal it to our spirits bow your head please and little the little children close your eyes we're in the presence of of almighty god there'll come a time little children out there there'll come a time when the ten thousand <laughs> times ten thousand angels and the fire that surrounds the throne. We'll see that, or whatever it would be. Go with us today and write these things on the tablets of our heart that we might indeed love you more than we love ourselves. Amen.